Clockwork. I'm so mad that I didn't pick it up. <laughs> Are we ruining your night? Luna, do we need to snuggle with you during... Oh, we're gonna have to go give her treats during trailer time. We can do that. Yeah. We'll probably go a half hour before trailer time anyway. Hey, go half time doing what? Half hour doing what? Half hour talking about our... Uh, doing the... the We're doing... A... We did so good last time! <laughs> Do you expect goodness on this soon-to-be-a-major-motion podcast? A podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books? With your hosts, Cody and Billy Beck? Which one are you? <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> oh, God. It never starts good. No, it doesn't. It never starts good. So, Billy, how was your week? My week, uh, Fine. Edited a podcast. Uh, the the Philadelphia Union advanced in the playoffs just before recording, so I'm a happy man. It's it's helping to uh, pave over the the cracks in my sanity that were formed by the Phillies' exit <laughs> and Angel City's exit from their playoffs. But uh, yeah, not gonna complain about that at all. Got a wonderful surprise yesterday that I wasn't supposed to get. I'm so upset with you. <laughs> so, my birthday is coming up. And for the first time in years, I decided I'm going to actually have some people, like, meet up at a bar or whatever for my birthday. So I started inviting people out. And I was texting my best friend uh, back in Pennsylvania, hi Mark, about this. And he said, oh, I wish I could be there, but I'll send you a card. And I thought it was weird that he said that he'd send me a card, considering this man will mail me once every two months regardless. <laughs> of course you're going to send me a card. I knew this already. Why would he bring that up? Wouldn't it be funny if he showed up at my birthday? Nah, that's not going to happen. Flights are expensive. He doesn't have time off work. Whatever. So on my way home from work yesterday, Cody texts me, Hey, I have a favor to ask. And I'm like, alright, what? Can we pick somebody up at the airport on Black Friday. If you're not familiar with Los Angeles or LAX, you have to love someone <laughs> to pick them up at the airport. And I I mean like more than family, like deep seated relationships that go back decades kind of love, right? I have not picked William up at the airport ever for the record. Yeah, Cody has never picked me up at the airport. I've picked her up at the airport Many because times. I love her. <laughs> so I'm like, sure. Black Friday is a shitty day, but it could be worse. It could be the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And she's and I was like, okay, who? And she said that it was, oh, one of her friends from back home who has a work thing. And I'm thinking, a work thing on Thanksgiving is or Thanksgiving weekend is weird, but I don't even know what she does for work. So I was like, okay, cool. And then I get home and I'm like, oh yeah, it's cool. I don't mind. You know, for a second there, I thought you were going to tell me we were going to pick up Mark as a surprise. 
And she, Cody, you cannot keep a straight face when you're caught in a lie. This motherfucker. <laughs> I can lie to anyone else. I can lie to anyone else on the planet. I can lie to my mother with a straight face. And I have done so. This motherfucker, my husband, I cannot lie to him to save my goddamn life. The funny thing is, I didn't think it was possible or I wouldn't have brought it up. Had I thought it was even a possibility that you were going to sneak my best friend into the state for my birthday, I would have shut my mouth and let it happen. But I was like, there's no way it's going to be Mark. Like, cool. I don't I don't mind seeing your friend. I don't want to name her. Um <laughs> she's not a listener of the podcast. Mark has had his words spoken on here before, so I don't mind. Um, I was, like, looking forward to seeing her, because I haven't seen her in years. But then, like, you just gave it away. I crumbled like a house of cards that someone just... You didn't even, like... It was like a house of cards in a tornado. There was no holding back. The benefit of knowing now, though, is I was able to take a day off of work that weekend... Uh, so I could spend an extra day, really enjoy my birthday weekend, which I have not been able to do because I'm such a, I have a birthday that's so close to Thanksgiving and I've worked in retail for the past 12 years, long time. Uh, having any day off near my birthday has never been a thing. And I'm honestly blessed that my work is letting me take fucking Cyber Monday off so that I can enjoy my birthday. Like that's... I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a wonderful weekend. So thank you so much. Thanks, Mark. And thank you, Mark. <laughs> well, thank you in person before this episode drops. Shortly after. Time is a weird soup. I don't know. I don't feel like bringing up my calendar. Cody, <laughs> how have you been? <laughs> well, not to not to have an abrupt mood, mood swing here, uh, but I learned how to speed run an emergency room this weekend. Oh, do tell. So, Friday night, we're walking, and all of a sudden, I can't see properly out of my left eye. And I'm like, that's probably not great, right? So I Google it, and Google's like, go to the fucking emergency room. And I'm like, do I really need to go to the emergency room, though? So then I do a virtual visit with a doctor, and he says, go to the fucking emergency room. And while she's doing all of this, I'm on the couch. I've smoked a little <laughs> bit of weed. I'm getting ready to kick back on a Friday night. To be fair, you had smoked before I got home. That's true. Because I worked late. So it wasn't like he was smoking while I was experiencing a medical crisis. <laughs> I didn't think it was serious. I also didn't think it was serious. I'm also not a doctor. <laughs> So I, I come out of the bedroom and I'm like, hey, babe, want to go with me to the ER? <laughs> so we go to the ER and I rock up to the check-in counter and they have a little sign that says, jump to the head of the line if you are experiencing any of the following symptoms, one of which was abrupt vision changes. So I'm like, hey, I'm experiencing abrupt vision changes. And we sat down in the emergency room, which was not busy, but wasn't empty either. There were open seats, but there were people waiting. Yeah. Uh, and we went, um, literally, like, we, I dropped my paperwork off. I gave them my insurance card. I sat down, and they called my name. And I was like, holy shit, am I dying? <laughs> 
The answer is yes, but at the same rate as everybody else. So after an ER visit, uh, two days off of work, and seeing three different types of eye doctors, a vitreoretinal specialist, a vascular disease specialist, and a fucking neuro-ophthalmologist... Isn't tight. <laughs> Uh, the, um, the, <laughs> the diagnosis is I was experiencing aura, which if you ever, I do get migraines, but I've never had visual effects with them before. And apparently you can experience the aura without needing the migraine, which is a fun new thing that I get to know. I love how the official diagnosis is you're dehydrated, bitch. Drink more water and exercise a little bit. <laughs> I am on the... I am on a literal doctor-ordered plan of drinking eight glasses of water a day. We preceded this recording with her court-ordered 20-minute walk. <laughs> you say it's not court-ordered, it's doctor-ordered. Doctors have a court, right? <laughs> So yeah, that was my weekend and up to today. <laughs> so we're laughing because Cody has a clean bill of health. Yeah. They ran a ton of tests, both at the ER and since. Nothing wrong with you. Yeah. It it was funny because every time they looked at a new test result, they were like, there's nothing wrong with you. Like I was, I was watching. Your your eyes were closed for obvious reasons, but I was watching as the ER doc was giving you an ultrasound to your eye, which was cool as fuck. By the way, <laughs> I'm, I'm blazed in an ER looking at my wife's eyeball in a way I've never seen it before. It was a, in retrospect, a fun evening. <laughs> Considering that there was nothing seriously wrong, it was a fun yeah. evening. We were in good spirits, cracking jokes with Docs. It was actually kind of fun. <laughs> Could have been way, way, way worse. So yes, bright side and all that. Uh, but yeah, like even even then, like the doctor was like, "I see nothing wrong with you," and it just made the doctors confused, like not worried but confused. They were like, "It could be one of these three things, but it's obviously none of those three things." So, oh, you're not dying. <laughs> you don't have a stroke, and your retinas are attached. Fuck out of here. <laughs> Yeah. So I've met, uh, now that I've met most of the eye doctors in the greater Los Angeles area. So while you only spent a couple hours give and take in a hospital, it's time to check back in with our protagonist who spends a significantly longer amount of time in various medical facilities. She lives in the hospital for a while in the book. We are, of course... Getting into the final part of our trilogy, The Hunger Games Mockingjay. Or as the novel is called, Mockingjay. <laughs> Why are you this way? <laughs> Let's watch a trailer. I never wanted any of this. I never wanted to be in the games. I just wanted to save my sister and keep Peto alive. Miss Everdeen. It's the things we love most that destroy us. I want everyone who's watching 
to lay down their weapons now. You're alive. PETA is the capital's weapon. The same way you're ours. You will rescue PETA at the earliest opportunity, or you will find another Mockingjay. Let's get into it after a brief disclaimer. We want to reiterate that we decided to cover this franchise before the events of October 7th in Israel. Our stance on that situation has remained the same since our last episode. The killing of innocent men, women, and children is abhorrent, and we do not condone it under any circumstances. There are numerous events in this book and these films that mirror real-world events over the last six weeks. Our discussion going forward related to these events is solely about the fictional events of the story and is not intended to be commentary on the ongoing situation in the Middle East. Yep. So, Mockingjay, part one. It begins with Katniss waking up in District 13, and she's almost immediately asked to do propaganda for the revolution. Which is same in the book. Yeah. She refuses at first, like, I'm not part of your shit. So they take her to 12 so she can actually see the, dis- the destruction that happened in her homeland. In her home in Victor's village, uh, she finds one flower that hasn't wilted from the bouquet that Snow gave her at the beginning of Catching Fire. At the time, I thought, is that a bug? Because that's never revisited in the movies. But there's like one flower that's not wilted amongst a bunch of wilted roses. So... I interpreted that in the because that is correct. That happens in the the book as well. I interpreted that as they recently were there and he left it as an indication. Oh. Although he his roses are he like they are genetically modified. Um but it happens I believe three times in the book. There's that original one. Mm. I believe there is a they go somewhere and it's covered in rose petals, but I may be... That's later. That happens later. Okay. So I might be conflating that from the um, movie. There's the... Something from part two, which we'll get to. Uh, and the same rose comes back at the very end. Okay. <clears throat> so after this, I think while she's still in her home, uh, Snow addresses Pan Am. He executes some rebels live on TV. Whee! And he forbids revolutionary symbols, including the Mockingjay and I believe the three-finger salute. This is the scene that you were thinking of in Catching Fire when his granddaughter starts undoing her braid. Ah, okay. It's here. She's standing with a bunch of other girls, and she's like, oh, shit. (laughs) So Katniss uh, finds Buttercup the cat. Yes. Smuggles it back into District 13. And they're in the cafeteria, and another broadcast from the Capitol features Flickerman interviewing PETA. This is how she finds out he's still alive. Yes. Uh, PETA plays, or is, the fool, and claims that Katniss is ignorant of what she's doing. She doesn't mean it. She's not really part of the revolution. 
He then addresses the camera directly to try and aim for a ceasefire and stop the Civil War. Everyone in 13 considers him a traitor, but of course, Gale thinks he's forced to say it to protect Katniss. You think Gale in the movie thinks that he's forced to say it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because in the book, Gale is like, he's a fucking traitor. Really? Gale Gale thinks he's a coward and a traitor. So what do you think personally? I absolutely think that PETA has already been tortured at that point, And he is being, he is being told what to say. Um, because he also doesn't know the fate of his family. So he could very well be being punished with, like, Snow could be like, we will kill your family, we will kill everyone you love, including Katniss, if you don't say this. So I agree with you there. But our intrepid filmmakers had a different opinion. There's a deleted scene where Peta is talking with Snow privately before that first appearance on TV. And Peta makes it clear that he doesn't support the rebellion or Katniss's role in it. And the opinion is not forced upon him. He doesn't yet know the extent of Snow's atrocities. But that's why he says what he says, because he actually believes it. And I'm so glad they cut that from the movie, because that fucking sucks. Yeah, I don't think that's... I think that's a, a, a very egregious misread of the PETA character. Yeah. I don't like that at all. I don't either. So shortly after that, Katniss has a dream about Peta because she's having nightmares and she dreams about the scene in Catching Fire. Uh, she instead gets comfort from Prim when she wakes up. And this leads her to agree to be the Mockingjay as long as District 13 can promise to free Peta and the rest of the victors from the Capitol. Yes. I believe not only in the book, it's not only is it freeing them, it's also that they get full pardoned. Yes. Freed and pardoned. That's in the movie. And also one of her conditions is she gets to kill Snow. That doesn't happen here. That happens in part two. She has she has five demands when she agrees to become the Mockingjay. Buttercup gets to live uh, in the compound. She and Gail get to go hunting outside. They The previous victors will be pardoned, like fully pardoned for anything that they say or do while under the control of the capital, uh, and they will be rescued as soon as possible. And I can't remember what the other one is, but she has a list of demands. Yeah, it's just... If I recall correctly, it's... I'll do it if you free them and pardon them, and also my sister gets to keep her cat. Yeah. (laughs) So, after this, Plutarch visits Effie Trinket to bring her into the fold as Katniss's escort. Yep. President Coyne addresses the citizens, letting them know about the freeing and pardoning of the victors. The citizens do not like this. And they understand that this will not happen if Cat fails as the Mockingjay. Yes. I thought at the time this was going to lead to the citizens revolting against Katniss because some bullshit happening if they're rescued. I was wrong about that. But we will get to that. When Effie Trinket comes in, this is when Katniss learns that Cinna did pass away. Uh, or, sorry, uh, Cinna was brutally murdered by the Snow Regime. What survives of him are some sketches of a costume that she used to wear during her propaganda shoots, or propos, as they're called. So, this is very different in the book. It is not Effie. 
Effie does not appear until the end of the book. She is fully held by the Capitol until the end. She appears in like the last 50 pages. It is her prep team. And the scene with uh, the scene where Katniss discovers this is after she's agreed to become the Mockingjay. They are taken into the bowels of uh, the complex of 13. And she actually sees her prep team are chained uh, to a wall uh, in basically a cell with a drain in the floor. And she realizes what that means. Um, And her prep team also is visibly like visibly in pain and shock. And when she touches them, they recoil because they're so used to being tortured, essentially. By by 13? Yes. They have been held... They were being punished because they stole food. What stealing food was is they left the cafeteria with food in their pockets. Because the rules in 13 are you eat everything in the cafeteria... You don't take anything with you. So, that definitely shows the darker side of District 13 a lot earlier in the story than they do in the movie. Yes. And it feels like that's to give the audience of the film a false sense of security. As to, like, coin is to be trusted. And we'll talk about it more when I talk about my predictions for part two. Yeah. Um, but it feels like the movie is leading the audience to trust coin and to trust 13. And they are quote, the good guys in this conflict. And the capital is the bad guys in this. Con- Why am I putting quotes? The capital is the bad guys in this conflict. Uh, <laughs> yes. They just don't want us to know that 13 is also f- fucked up. Coins, not a good person. At this point, the, Katniss, at this point in the narrative, Katniss is already so distrusting of authority. Like, the only authority she really trusted was Hamish, and Hamish fucking broke her heart and Mm -hmm. broke his promise. So she doesn't trust anyone. And she, um, she also, she has no respect for anything at this point. She talks about how, like, the first couple weeks that she's in 13, she just wanders around. And, like, she ignores the guards, she ignores Coin's orders, she gets up and does as she pleases. She eat like, she follows the eating rules, but that's basically it. And it's only because there's people that physically stop her. It feels like the book definitely starts out in a darker place with Katniss mentally. Like, Katniss is fully unraveling. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a joke when the movie came out that the whole movie is her yelling, where's PETA, at people in authority. Like, she's fucking lost it. I do like the change of bringing in Effie there. Okay. I mean, you've got Elizabeth Banks in the role, right? Yeah. Who's killer. She's so electric on screen. And having her completely gone from the first part of a two-part movie and only coming in for a cameo at the end would just be wrong. Even like, you in, have to have her in there. Even in the book, it feels weird that she just appears at the end and does not appear to be like she appears basically unaffected yeah i, I like what they did with her in this because instead of having like literal prisoners be her prep team it's a character we love who is freed from the capital and thinks she's a political prisoner or acts like a political prisoner because she's forced to wear a jumpsuit and can't have her fancy wigs to be fair 
If you're if you're looking at it from the point of view of the book, she is a political prisoner because she doesn't understand 13. Like it's also in the book, uh, Plutarch has an assistant and she it talks about how like 13 is all about conservation. They talk about how your nutrition is calculated to be specifically what you need to get you from one meal to the next. And that's it. Because the whole point of 13 is that you share everything and you um, you follow the ultimate authority, which is coin, and you don't... It's it's very militarized. Yeah, it's for sure militarized in the movie as well. It's very 1984 vibes. Yes. Everyone's wearing the same thing. Everyone's on a tight schedule. Yeah, it's because that's how they survived for this long. Exactly. And um, Effie, if you put her in that role, like, she would... Let me backtrack. Katniss actually has a line where she talks about, like, the people of 12 know how to be hungry, but they don't know how to be told what to do with the resources they do have. So some of them are actually struggling with that transition because, yeah, they have enough to eat, but they're not being allowed. They're not being they're being told and being dictated to what they're allowed to do with it. And that's where a lot of them are kind of chafing. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of when I did missions work in Brazil in my evangelical childhood, uh, we did two weeks in Brazil. The first week was a camp for uh, kids from the slums, and the second week was an English camp. And of course, we force-fed them Bible for a week. Which, I mean, I, I went in those slums later, and they were very Catholic. They knew Bible, but whatever. And some of these kids, it was the first time in their life they had three meals a day. Because that's just what it was. And they didn't know what to do. So almost every meal, there would be a kid who ate till they threw up. Because they have access to food. They don't know when they're going to get it again. Sounds a lot like that. And to go back to Plutarch's assistant, she is... One of the tropes that I dislike a lot in fantasy and in writing in general is that you use a fat character or a character who is described as plump as being the character that demonstrates the excesses of the, of the evil capital or whatever. Um, and unfortunately, Suzanne Collins falls into that trope with the Fulvia character. She is fat and she is uh, wasteful. Like all, every time there is an issue with like something being discarded, like there's a point where she writes on a piece of paper and crumples it up and Katniss is like, um, the rest of the, everyone else in the war room looks at her like she committed like a murder and she like gets all embarrassed and, and like spreads the paper back out so they can keep using it. So you also have like the culture clash of Plutarch and Fulvia from being from the capital, growing up in the capital and they've never gone without, they've never been hungry, whatever. And they're still not here, but they're not used to the level of yeah. stricture and restriction. Yeah. And so they're still struggling with it, even though they're part of the higher ups, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's because here you're not going hungry because they are so strict as to about as to how much everyone can use of every resource. Yes. It's the whole capitalism versus communism thing. Yes. And maybe both are wrong is the point it seems like she's trying to make. We should we should add that uh, tweet into the <laughs> show notes later. Which? <laughs> Adult fiction. Oh. I am riddled with ennui. Shall I cheat on my wife, perhaps? <laughs> Young adult fiction. <laughs> 
overthrow the government and also kill its grasping Maoist successor. <laughs> we'll get to the killing the grasping Maoist successor <laughs> in part two. <laughs> so, now that she's got Effie, Katniss is prepared to shoot her first propaganda on a blue screen with a script that she didn't write. And she's a terrible actor. What's the uh, what's the joke from um, uh, that thing that everyone hates now? Uh, Cinema Sins. We're like, ah, yes, the joy of watching a movie being made while you're watching a movie. <laughs> you know, I fucking love that scene though, because it was a. Uh, this came out after the first Hobbit movie, and it felt like a direct shot at that because there was like famously Ian McKellen had a breakdown on set. Because he's on a green screen and there's no other actors near him. And he's trying to give him the performance. Whereas on Lord of the Rings, 20 years prior, he's in the room with Elijah Wood on a rig that makes them look different sizes. And, you know, real movie magic and not computer movie magic. So it definitely felt like a, a dig at that in a very CG heavy movie. And it also demonstrates, again, the... Um, what's the word that I'm looking for? The artificial nature the construction that is the capital everything is it's, made up and nothing is real and even district 13 feels like they need to manufacture things like the capital manufactures reality well also plutarch is the one doing it yeah and that's and that's a a theme i wanted to talk about was like manufactured reality and fractured realities and they kind of go hand in hand with how people from the capital, like you were saying with the assistant, not used to conserving things. It's because her reality is one of prosperity. Whereas District 13, the reality is limited resources. And they're both real, but from different perspectives, they're everything. You know what I mean? Yes. And that's kind of how the two heads of state, so to speak, Snow and Coin control their people like snow is hey you live in the capital you get all this and it's all thanks to the hardworking people that fight to the death for you once a year and coin is you all eat at night and sleep at day wait you all eat all day and sleep at night because i bring you structure to manage our resources so that we can survive underground for 75 years yeah where reality true reality would fall somewhere in the middle so I'm pulling up a the section where they're preparing her for her first propo. Cleaning me up is just a preliminary step to determining my new look. With my acid-damaged hair, sunburned skin, and ugly scars, the prep team has to make me pretty and then damage, burn, and scar me in a more attractive way. Yep. So Hamish, when he comes in and is like, and that's how a revolution dies... The first thing Hamish does is to show the footage we've just shot. I seem to have reached some new low under Plutarch and Fulvia's guidance. Both my voice and body have a jerky, disjointed quality, like a puppet being manipulated by unseen forces. Oh boy, that's so subtle, Suzanne! Well done! Very subtle. She's not a pawn or a puppet. She is a human being. So, sober Hamish shows up. Yeah! Realizes they're done fucking up yep. this whole propo shit. Uh-huh. And suggests... Let's send her to the field. Let's put her in combat. You'll get your propaganda then. Do you have the scene um, where he asks people what makes them like Katniss? Yes, that scene happens. I didn't write it down. Uh, but yes, uh, he asks what makes people like her. 
And Effie said, ooh, when she volunteered to be in the games instead of her sister. And I don't remember what other people said. Yeah. It's, but yeah, that scene's there. Yeah, it's basically just a bunch of people being like... Because <laughs> Hamish is kind of brutal because he's specifically like, not when PETA was making you like her. What about her makes you like her? Yeah. No, he says that in the movie, too. Uh, so they get sent out to District 8, but first we meet her camera team. Absolute Smoke Show Cressida shows up. Yes. Along with Caster and Absolute Smoke Show Pollux. <laughs> Even hotter because he can't talk. Wow. Hey, I'm saying men shouldn't speak. Into the microphone. On the podcast that no, I we, do. We get the joke. Are you sure? Do I need to beat the dead horse a little bit longer? No, I think you're good. I think I can get more blood out of this dead horse. Um, so the sexy camera crew and Katniss and her sexy friends, Gail and uh, Finnick, fly off to District 8. Oh, Finnick goes with them this early. I think he goes with them. Mm, yes. Yes, he does. Okay, Finnick is still basically confined to the mental hospital in 13 at this point. Oh, we don't have time for character development. We gotta fit <laughs> that whole book into two movies. <laughs> so they go to District 8, and Katniss has her Gone with the Wind scene, where she goes to the hospital of uh, those wounded in battle, meets some of them. They, uh, the morale just rapidly increases when they realize, oh, she's actually backing up her word. She's going to fight side by side with us. She tells, someone asks her about the baby, right? Someone asks her about the baby and she just says, I lost it. So in the book, she never actually talks about it. They just say that, uh, Plutarch just says that they're going to spread a rumor that she lost it because of the being electrocuted by the force field. Makes sense. I kind of like having her be the one that says it. Because it's the first, it might not be the first time, but it's one of the few times she actually, like, lies to push an agenda. Yeah. Because one of the things about her character is that she's honest with her intentions. And it's one of those things where she she lies about the truth somewhat to spare... Uh, the person's feelings, somewhat to save PETA from getting caught in his lie to push the agenda, but also to, you know, rally these troops for her cause, uh, which she seems to do. Unfortunately, Snow finds out about this and orders an attack on the hospital. Which is interesting, because in the book, there is also an attack on the hospital. It is explicitly not done. They don't know she's there until she shoots down the hovercraft. They were just doing a bombing run and planning to attack the hospital. They straight up show Snow, see her at eight, and he says, bomb the hospital, show them what it costs to associate with the Mockingjay. Because his first speech when she's back in 12 was any association with the Mockingjay, you die. I actually prefer the book because the capital is more it's more faceless evil and and um fascism and the cruelty is the point yeah if you are only bombing hospitals because the mockingjay is there 
that just looks makes you look spiteful and petty. If you are bombing the hospitals because that's your bomb run today, you are a you are an evil that must be stopped. Yeah, that, I agree with Not you. Not that, that you one. should bomb hospitals in general, but I'm just saying the motivation behind it. If your motivation is is uh, uh, Raul Julia, it was a Tuesday. <laughs> that's so much worse, right? How is it you dropping a Street Fighter the movie <laughs> reference? <laughs> excellent it's, like it's, little no, thing it's a, it's a great reference to make in this because it is and i agree with you when you're building an antagonist in this kind of story to have them be that fucking evil that they're just going to bomb a hospital because they're there with no regards towards the wounded that's fucked up and that's what the capital has been shown to be at this point. They don't give a shit about collateral damage. No. They just want to do damage. So this is the scene then where uh, Katniss does her propo. She finally gets it out uh, after you know blowing up the bombers with one explosive arrow in a wonder shot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say the... Uh, if we burn, you burn with us is something that that's I really, I really, really like that line. And it resonates. It's a killer line. It is a gorgeous piece of writing. And it's it's the the line that, you know, the rebellion rallies around. I believe it's yelled by rebels in various districts later in the film. Yep. Uh, so they air this propaganda. To all the districts, the people of District 13 fucking love it. Uh, in response to it, uh, the Lumberjacks in District 7 fuck up peacekeepers. They're going out to, you know, their daily work. And someone whistles the fucking Rue tune. They all dart up trees, a bunch of them get gunned down. And once they're up the trees, all the bombs they laid on the floor just decimate the peacekeepers. I believe that's the trigger to for them to uh, say that it's safe. For the, to say that they're all in the trees and it's safe to blow the bombs is if we burn you... It's a call and response. Yes. If we burn, you burn with us. Bombs. Yep. That's where that comes. Uh, then we get that scene where Kat and Gail get to go hunting. I'm going to keep calling her Kat because that's what I wrote her as my notes. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, they go hunting where they experience a wonderful metaphor for a peaceful future. As a deer, elk, moose, some four-legged creature with antlers just isn't afraid of them. As they're ready to hunt it. And Katniss recognizes like, oh, it's kind of taking the fun away if it's not afraid. And, you know, puts the bow down and chooses not to shoot. Wonderful metaphor. When they get back to 13, Peta's on the TV again, referencing the propaganda that she filmed. Uh, He's saying that she's being forced to do it by the district. And he looks much different in this propaganda, correct? He, this is the one, I think, where the costume design gave him, I don't think he, like, looked different, but he had a really high collar and a really pointed collar that was off-center, and it looked like a dagger to his throat. Ooh. And that was, like, a deliberate costumer filmmaking choice to show that he's under duress. I like that. Isn't that good? That's really good. I, so, in my personal and scholastic film studies over my life... 
I never really gave a shit about the costume element of it, and I really should because there's so much fun you can do with costume. So that is slightly different because there's only two propos that you see with PETA, and they're about a week apart because this is another sign of Jesus Christ, Katniss, you're so fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. Because there's the first one where he's where he calls for the ceasefire and um, he talks about how um, Katniss is Katniss didn't know anything about it. They didn't know anything about the rebellion and the rescue, whatever. Yeah. And then the second propo is five or six days later, after the "If we burn, you burn with us," and. Katniss is like shocked at how visibly different he looks. She talks about how like he's lost weight, his skin is really pale, he's like he has tremors. Like his she specifically describes his artificial leg is like tapping out a weird beat on the floor like he can't stop his leg from shaking. Is it Morse code? <laughs> no. Um and she also she says the scariest thing is that his eyes are like clouded over. And she's like, how could he have changed so much in only a couple days? You dumb bitch. You know that the Capitol, everything they do is for an effect. You could, it takes her a while to realize that that first propo could have been filmed, you know, immediately after the fucking rescue. Yeah. It, they kind of hold that for a reveal at the end after the rescue. How, how emaciated and broken he is. Okay. In all the propo that we see from the Capitol, he looks fine. He looks normal. He might be acting a little weird, but he looks normal. So to respond to this propo from the Capitol, they're going to shoot another one. So they go to 12. And standing in front of the main street where the charred bones still remain of the majority of the residents of District 12, Gail tells a story of how 915 of the 10,000 citizens escaped the, the bombing runs. Does Katniss have her breakdown? And that's why Gail, they start filming Gail instead. I believe so. Because this is after the second propo in the book, Katniss has a conversation with Prim. And Prim, Prim tells her, uh, basically, they're going to use PETA to, to, until they find something that breaks you. And that is what, the realization that that's what's happening is what causes Katniss to have a meltdown. That happens a little bit later. Like that conversation happens a little bit later, and that happens after the um, the bombing run when they're in the the bunker. You know what? You're right. I'm confusing it with when they take Finnick okay. later. Yeah. So Katniss kisses Gale, and he says it's only because I'm hurting. Yep. Then they have don't a nice, worry, it'll pass. Then they have a nice little picnic sing along. Is where she sings the Hanging Tree, and they go back to thirteen. They turn that song into more propaganda. So, um, just a just a quick heads up. You should hang on to that song. It's gonna be real important in the next one. Is it? No, I don't think so. <laughs> After they air that propaganda, citizens of District Five helms deep in a hydroelectric dam. That okay? I fucking love that scene. It's so good. It's so good because it's just it transitions so smoothly from just Katniss singing and then it's just dark. And you are, the peacekeepers are there, and you just start hearing a really soft chorus steadily getting louder of just people singing that song. Yep. It, it and then has carrying to, wooden boxes, and you don't realize that they're explosives yet until they charge the dam. It kind of has the same vibe as Do You Hear the People Sing in Les Mis. Yeah. Like, it's very. Yeah. Yeah. What's that song? It's very, um. The one they sing at Portland Timbers Games. 
Oh, um, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. That anti-fascist song. Yes. It's very that. Yes. <sighs> God. <laughs> oh my God. It's a French thing. No, it's Italian. Oh. Bella Chow. That's what it is. Whew. Bella Chow. We got there. I found the melody in my head. I had to like sing it through in my head until I got to the, the Bella Chow, Bella Chow, Bella Chow. All right. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they kill uh, Power in the Capitol. This is when PETA comes on TV again to request a ceasefire. But BT manages to override the signal. And he actually broadcasts. What does he broadcast? He broadcasts uh, more propaganda here. Yeah. And that's when PETA warns them that they're coming. They're going to bomb you again. So Coin hits the raid drill. Everyone goes down into the bunker. But first, Prim's got to get her cat and Kita's got to... Kita? Katniss got to get her, her Prim. And they barely make it in in time. And Gail's got to get his Katniss. And they all, you know, fucking daisy chain themselves back into the, into the bunker just in time. Air raid hits, but they don't actually know. The capital doesn't know where munitions are held. They only bomb what they see shoot first. So they just cease fire and let the bombing raid end. I think everyone survives. So it's different in the book because they do know mostly what the layout is. They're using ground penetrating missiles. But they're not getting deep enough. Mm. So they're they're feeling the bombs and like they do destroy a significant portion oh, of yeah, the top Oh like, yeah, there's tunnels that collapse and stuff. Yeah. But as far no as one dies. important things, the yeah. capital doesn't quite know where. Correct. While they're waiting out the bombing, uh, they're playing laser point tag with the cat. And that's when Katniss realizes yes. that she's being taunted. That's yes. what Snow's doing with PETA. Speaking of boys she wants to kiss, hmm? how do they portray the sort of deteriorating relationship between Katniss and Gale? It's a slow burn. It's a slow deterioration, and I know it doesn't go quite as far as it does in the books. Because it gets to the point, I don't think it's quite, because the reason that Gale was with Prim was he was collecting all of the stuff that Katniss had left in their room along with Prim and Buttercup. And so he gives her all the stuff. And that's like his apology for the conversation they had earlier because originally Katniss, Katniss is still kind of living in the hospital at this point in the book. She hasn't fully, she's like in and out. Um, and so she happens to see the propo with Finnick and Finnick tells her to lie. And he says, you didn't see it. You didn't see PETA. You just saw the first part of it. And Gail doesn't tell her about it until finally she confronts him about it. And she's like, she basically says, I didn't realize you were Coin's bitch. And that like hurts Gail's feelings. So they kind of like they're on and off. They're kind of battling with each other because more or less like Gail has always been more extreme than Katniss is. Mm -hmm. And he is more i don't want to use the word bloodthirsty but he expresses basically that anyone from the capital he doesn't care they can all die as far as he's concerned he would personally kill all of them if it ended the war yeah 
And Katniss is like, at this point, Katniss is like, I have killed enough people that that's fucking bullshit. He's not bloodthirsty, but he's heartless. Yes. Ruthless. Ruthless is a good word. And like, you also see that with the weapons that he's developing. That comes out more in the second one than the first one. Yeah. Yeah, In the first one, it's still like, it's less he's ruthless and more the spark that was there once is gone. Yeah. And it's more, it's more personal with him and Katniss than it is political. And with that, where is the thing? So, clearly, Suzanne wanted to make it really obvious that uh, Gail and Katniss were not going to end up together. Because this is not even at the halfway point in the book. We were each other's key. There's no District 12 to escape from now. No peacekeepers to trick. No hungry mouths to feed. The capital took away all of that, and I'm on the verge of losing Gale as well. The glue of mutual need that bonded us so tightly together for all those years is melting away. Dark patches, not light, show in the spaces between us. Jennifer Lawrence herself decided to make it very clear that they weren't going to end up together as well. Because this is the movie where she would eat tuna and garlic before their kissing scenes to make them extra uncomfortable on camera. Beautiful. (laughs) You got a lot of things confused with this and Catching Fire. I did. I did. (laughs) So, I cut like about 45 minutes of silence for our audience, just so you know. She had to reread the book to find that quote. Uh, So I forget where we were. Uh, Sorry. So they go back up to the surface after the bombing and find thousands of white roses left behind. That's, yes. That's where those come from. Yes. This is where she has a bit of a panic attack. And Hamish kind of talks her down and lets her know, hey, while the power was out at the Capitol, we've got people there now, including Gale, trying to get Finnick and Peta and Joanna out of the Capitol. Um, but what they need to do is constantly block communications within the Capitol. So they're sending out a constant propo to disrupt their stuff. And this is when Finnick is describing how he was prostituted as a kid. And how Snow would come after your family if you didn't agree to be prostituted as a victor. And the reason why he loves roses is because he poisons his enemies, but to gain their trust, he drinks from the same glass. And the antidote isn't perfect, so the smell of roses is to cover the smell of blood from the sores in his mouth. And it's fucking badass. It is a brilliant performance from Sam Kaplan. He, uh, it's actually Finnick that is talking Katniss down, uh, in the book. Cause this is like separate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like the use of Hamish here. Cause it's, Hamish is the only other person that understands why they need to save PETA. Yeah. So while this is all going on, the rescue team gets in, gets out with the crew the rescue te- or the power comes back up while the rescue team is still there. That's when Katniss jumps into the propo to distract Snow. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when she talks to him when you were ah uh, in the trailer in the yes. trailer when we were watching. That it. does not happen. Um, that does not happen in the book. She does not communicate with Snow. Oh, she communicates with him directly, and she basically says she'll quit as being Mockingjay if he releases Peta. He says. I know where they are and what they're doing. And he cuts off the broadcast. And this is when Katniss mourns the loss of the boy she wants to kiss and her backup boy that she wants to kiss. 
Luckily, the crew returns. Annie and Joanna are safe. Did I say Fennec earlier? Res- as a rescue? Mm. I meant Joanna and Annie. No, you... Peta. I know I said a wrong name somewhere. You did, but I, I can't think I remember if it was Finnick or not. I think I said Finnick. I didn't mean Finnick. Finnick's fine. He was <laughs> he was talking about blood source and prostitution. <laughs> uh, Annie is the third one I keep forgetting because she's barely a character. So the crew comes back. Annie and Joanna are safe, as are Peta and Gale. The Capitol actually allowed them all to leave unharmed. Eh, why is that? The guns were back online. Why did they let us out? What could they possibly gain from that? All three of them are completely emaciated at this point. Very clearly malnourished. Joanna's head is shaved. Annie's just gone. Yeah, Annie... It's not really clear in the movie, um, but Annie actually went crazy during her games. Yeah, she's been crazy the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's... I'm again. I'm using not the most sensitive term, but the book is also describing it that way. Yeah. Um, she is mostly okay now, <laughs> but she's even coin is like she's very frail. Yeah. And uh, do you remember when we did the first one, and we talked about the controversy about Jennifer Lawrence's weight and how she doesn't look frail, and you asked me why don't they just do Captain America to her, and I said budget. They didn't have a budget on that film. They had a budget on this one. <laughs> so they actually Captain america the three of them to make them look bad. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. It, it, you could tell it's an effect, but it holds up pretty well still. Uh, when you see PETA, especially. Yeah. Because he's got, like, you can see his, like, sternum poking out of his skin and shit. Um, and, of course, when you see him, he strangles Katniss <laughs> nearly to death. Um, who's is it Boggs that takes a tray to the back of his head? I think so. Knocks yeah. him unconscious. And when Katniss wakes up, she's told, Hey, he's now a weapon of the Capitol. He's been hijacked. They've been using Tracker Jacker Venom to manipulate him into thinking you're the enemy and you're working for the Capitol. End of part one. Oh, sorry, Coin announces that they liberated the victors. End of part one. Hey, remember that quote that I said we were going to come back to from the very first book where PETA talks about how he doesn't care what happens to him as long as he doesn't become, as long as the capital doesn't turn him into something he's not? Uh oh. <laughs> they turned him into something he's not, Cody. They sure did. Why would they do that? Um, I don't believe it's ever made clear in the movie. Is it? explained how they were torturing Joanna? No. Joanna's more of an afterthought. She is she plays a bigger role in the books. They Capital was torturing Joanna specifically by remembering catching fire when they were talking about BT's plan and how their plan was to uh, electrify the sand. Yeah. That's what they're doing to Joanna. They were dousing her with water and then uh, shocking her. Well, that fucking sucks. Uh, she actually, this is her storyline is basically completely cut from the movie. But she actually is in soldier training with Katniss, and they have like their final like event. They're like to pass to become a full soldier. They basically find each soldier's weakness. And for Joanna, they flood the streets, and it causes her to fully have a breakdown and get sent back to the hospital. And she is taken out of basically the rest of the book. Damn. 
Yeah. So, this is where they decided to end the film for part one. Obviously, with the success of the final two Harry Potter films and the final two Twilight films, they had to split the last one into two films. I mean, they didn't have to. In fact, the director later regretted doing it because uh, I actually have his quote here somewhere. Uh, He said, uh, this is director Francis Lawrence, who also directed Catching Fire. He did both of these. He said, I totally regret it. I'm not sure everybody does, but I definitely do. What I realized in retrospect, and after hearing all the reactions and feeling the kind of wrath of fans, critics, and people at the split, is that I realized it was frustrating. And I can understand that. In an episode of television, if you have a cliffhanger, you have to wait a week, or you could just binge it, and then you can see the next episodes. But making people wait a year, I think, came across as disingenuous, even though it wasn't. And respect, mad respect for copping to that. That said, if you were directing this, and the studio said, make it too, where would you make the cut? Before here, after here, here's good. Where would you make the split between part one and part two? I would make the split kind of right here. I would do it after the wedding. Because... That would hinge on you being more complete with the book, but because the wedding is kind of the point where Katniss gives up on PETA. Mm. At least temporarily. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you want to have the same kind of impact where it's like, I am throwing myself fully into this war because I have... He's still alive, but essentially the boy I love is dead. That would be where I would cut it. And you still get all the fun action bits of the second half. But I think if you're cutting it, it would have to be either right after you get PETA back or slightly, like, right after her plan is solidified. So, I like that, actually. Because you're kind of ending the movie on a bittersweet note there. Because a wedding is a happy thing. Like, you expect her reunion with PETA to be, but it's also, there's a non-happiness about it. Yeah. So I like that. The original plan... For the ending. Basically, the final scene of this movie was supposed to be the first scene of part two. And the end of this movie was going to be Boggs hitting Peta with the tray. So you see Peta get up, strangle Katniss, get knocked out, roll credits. (laughs) (laughs) That would have pissed so many people off. It would have pissed so many people off. Like, especially knowing, like, how people react, myself included, how people reacted to the year-long wait between the two. Yeah. And I was one of those people. I saw this movie, I think, shortly after the video release, and fucking thought it was awesome. And I was like, cool, can't wait for the next one. When's it come out? Eight months? Oh. All right. And by the time the second one came out, I didn't see it. Yeah, I I saw it alone. You saw it without me. Because um, I, I didn't care again. Because I didn't have the energy to go back and rewatch this one just to, to play catch up, you know? Yeah. So I I like what uh, Francis Lawrence said about the, the binging TV thing. Yeah. It's very like that. I could have waited a week. I wasn't going to wait almost a year. The thing is, like, okay, yes. I get splitting a Harry Potter or a Lord of the Rings or whatever if you want to. Like, not necessarily The Hobbit. Yeah, that, that book is shorter than... <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. And they made it a nine-hour movie. Uh, (laughs) Or it's three movies that total to nine hours. Yeah. So, 
I get splitting a, a 500 or nine, 900 page book into two movies. I don't think splitting this movie was a bad idea because I do think you needed the kind of shift between the two because the front half of this book, the front half of this movie is about the war kind of ramping up and it is also about the creating the propos and it's it's about yeah. the disinformation and, and information war. It's not until the back half of the book that you get to the point where you are actually in the physical combat. So I get splitting it. Yeah, I mean, the two combined run at, like, I think four hours 20. Blaze it. <laughs> Cutting credits, we're looking at four hours, right? Yeah. I don't know where you cut an hour and a half from these movies. Yeah. To bring it to, like, a manageable two and a half. And it's not Scorsese directing where you can get away with a three and a half hour movie. It was, I mean, 2014, 2015, that was not happening in, in major cinema at the time. Yeah. I mean, it's barely happening now. Like, even, like, the big long releases, like Avengers and Justice League and that shit's 245. is about as long as you're going to get. I don't know where you're cutting an hour 15, hour 30 from these movies. Yeah. It's... Cause, I, I can see where you can add an hour to the back half of this movie. Because there's a whole... Or the... To part two. There's so much about Katniss that, and obviously, like, character development, whatever. Yes, you can sacrifice some of that or or sandwich some of it into smaller. The Mockingjay, the book, takes place over a much longer time frame than the movie does. Mockingjay, the book, takes place, I want to say, probably over nine months to a year. Because, remind me, The Nut is movie two, right? The Nut? The, uh, The Mountain. Yeah, that's two. That's two. Okay. Um, like, she spends time convalescing after that. Um, yeah. She spends the end of Catching Fire slash the beginning of Mockingjay basically weaning onto and then weaning off of drugs. Well, I mean, anytime you, you adapt a movie from a book, you're going to cut something. You have to cut something. Unless yeah. you're adapting a novella, like some of the Stephen King stuff, I guess, gets released that's completely uncut. Yeah. But if you're not cutting anything, then you get that movie Greed from the oh, yeah. 19-teens. Wasn't it like eight hours The long? original cut was like nine and a half hours long <laughs> because they treated the novel as a script because they had not adapted a book to film before. Yeah. The cut I saw a few years back was four hours long. <sighs> and it was a slog. Yeah, you were this, very not happy. I, I did not enjoy it. I, And that's not because it was a silent film. There's some silent films I fucking adore. Even long ones, like Metropolis is a long movie. I fucking adore that movie. It was just tough to get through. This wasn't, this was paced really well. Like, and that's because everything they kept in was necessary and moved either plot forward or character development forward that enhanced the plot. Yeah, it's the only way you can cut time out of these movies would be to do what they did, which was essentially cutting characters. Yeah, cut the prep team and just replace it with Effie so you don't have to introduce a new character and spend time developing that. Yeah. You've already done that with this character. But at that point, you risk the you risk losing the nuance, which is why we're having this conversation. Yeah. Um, I, he had another quote Francis Lawrence did. I didn't grab it in my notes, but... Or is it a part of the quote I already read? 
In, in relation to the quote I already read, he, he mentioned, like, it was a benefit in the long run to have four hours to tell this story, basically. Yeah. And... An hour for every hundred pages. I think, I think where they went wrong was, as always, the studios fucking shit up. You know how I feel about the studios. Yeah. Uh, which, congrats, by the way, to SAG. Uh, I haven't seen the new thing, but I'm assuming... If y'all are signing a contract, uh, a new deal, and getting back to work, I assume you get what you want. Fuck the AMPTP. Regardless, fuck them. Um, but I think where the issue lied was the studio deciding to put a year between the two releases instead of four months. Were they filming them? They filmed them back to back. Okay. They filmed them together as one long shoot. So release, I think they were doing November releases for all of them. Yeah, I think release so. the first one in November, release the second one in May. Take that summer. Like, what were you going up against in summer of 2015? What what Marvel movie came out that year? Oh, Lord. Was that Age of Ultron? Ugh. Like, that was or like Jurassic World year. was coming out. Ugh. Like, there weren't good movies coming out that year that I recall. <laughs> you could have picked a weekend there and done well at the box office in the summer and not lost a decent percentage of your audience in the year-long wait. Yeah. So, I don't know. Studios are stupid. Yeah. Studios don't understand art is the problem. They understand... They don't understand money either because they were willing to throw a half a billion away not paying fucking writers. But I digress. <laughs> so, before we get into part two, you asked me. I did. Because you had not seen part two before and you have never read these books, I asked you to make a couple of predictions for what you thought was going to happen in part two. Because I know that you know the structure of film. Yes. So I wanted you to make your guesses based on what happened in this movie, what was going to happen in the next movie. So the predictions that I wrote down. First one, Katniss kills PETA. Second, a mentor figure, and for examples I wrote Coin, Hamish, or Effie, dies... After imparting one last bit of wisdom. It's that scene you get in every movie where the protagonist is holding the mentor in their arms. And the mentor says, like, swing away. Or <laughs> fucking remember the Alamo. Or some, like, <laughs> bit of imparting wisdom to that will carry them through to the rest. I have Snow is removed from power, but either survives or dies at his own hand. And Pan Am becomes a democracy, but still imperfect. So, before we get into part two, uh, let's watch a trailer. Trailer! I've been watching you, and you watching me. My dear Miss Everdeen, make no mistake, the game is coming to its end. For the first time in our lifetimes, we're standing together with 13 districts. Our future starts tomorrow at dawn, when we march together into the capital. To slow our attacks, President Snow is building a minefield of traps. The sadistic inventions of game makers meant to make sport of our deaths. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 76 Hunger Games. Shot. Let's make it count. 
Nothing good is safe while he's alive. Snow has to pay for what he's done. Our lives were never ours. They belong to Snow and our deaths do too. But if you kill him, Katniss, if you end all of this, all those deaths, they mean something. Tonight, turn your weapons to the Capitol. To snow. All right, let's get back into it. So he was trying. Okay, so full disclosure, I did watch this part with him because. It had. I haven't seen it since it was in theaters, and I held hands with that lovely girl. He kept trying to guess which scene it was, and he guessed, like, a hot second too early. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. So we open part two. Katniss has her neck brace removed. Her voice is fucked up for all of 30 seconds, and she's not allowed to see PETA because PETA gonna kill her. Uh, he is, however, allowed to see Prim. Who lets him know what's going on. You're in 13. 12 is gone. Your family's dead. Your friends are dead. Your pets are dead. Everyone you've ever known is dead. Your old personality is dead. <laughs> yeah, she really doesn't do a good job of like letting him know gently, does she? She needs some work on her bedside manner. <laughs> um, did I mention that in the last... I think it's the last one is when she mentions that she's going to be a doctor. Or was that this one? Yeah, no, it's, it's the last one. Yeah, it's in the last one when they're in the... Um, Underground during the bombing raid. I didn't mention that. That's important. She's training to be a doctor. Good old Primrose. Mm-hmm. PETA believes that Katniss uh, was made by the Capitol to kill them all. Because he doesn't know what is or isn't real. And that becomes a theme throughout the movie. He'll ask, real or not real. Now, do they clarify what they mean by mutt at any point in this franchise? No. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Apparently I can't breathe now. Um, so... You know how they'll the fantasy worlds will take uh, words that are normal words in our in our language and just mutate them slightly, like morphling or yes, propo or hunger game. <laughs> <laughs> so mut is short for mutation, which is of course mutate. It's a mutation of mutation. And it's what the capital creates. It's the tracker jackers, the, um, the, the jabber jays. The beasts that attack them at the end of the first one. Yes. Yeah. I kind of I kind of gathered it from context clues. Yeah, it's just, I have always hate, like, more, for some reason, morphling doesn't bother me, but mutations drives me bananas. Yeah. So, Kat demands to get sent to the capital. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's going to kill Snow. But before they get to the capital, they need control of District 2. It's like the last holdout. Uh, and that's because, as we talked about last night, District 2 is the district that provides uh, the peacekeepers and provides uh, munitions. Uh, munitions for the capital. Yes. So 
on their way to District 2, Cat and Gale kiss again because he's having a bad day. <laughs> um, and for some reason in this scene that definitely won't come back up later in the movie, Gale suggests a, a two-prong attack where they bomb people, and then when the medics rush in to help, they bomb them again. I don't know why Gale suggested that. It seemed like a throwaway line in the movie. Probably that that's thirty seconds we could have cut. It has nothing to do with the plot later. So I know you're making a joke because of what happens later, but um this is also like yet again showing the difference between Gale and Katniss is that Katniss is like, oh, so I guess there's no lines on what we can what it, it makes it okay to do to other people. And Gale is like, I'm using the same playbook that Snow used when he hijacked PETA. And it's that, it's that age-old debate of, are you as bad as your enemy if you start using the same tactics as them? Which is interesting, because normally I am on the side of, no, you fucking aren't. If they're killing you, you kill them back. Yeah. It's, it's like the, when do you leave the moral high ground... Uh, it's also evidence of uh, what we were saying earlier about like the deterioration of her, their relationship, where they're starting to disagree more and more about how to handle the situation that they're in. Yeah, because Gale has not at this point been in full scale battle yet. I don't think he has in District Eight. In District before Eight, before when they were bombing the hospital and stuff, that was it wasn't like a firefight, but it was you know combat zone. Yes. He's been in and out. He was in the... He raided to get them out of the Capitol, too. Like, he's done... Okay. But he has not, like... He hasn't had the experience that Katniss has had. His experience are... is all military. Yes. He He's military trained, whereas she was thrown in the fire, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And learned how to defend herself while surviving the atrocities, as opposed to fighting back. Yeah. It almost feels like for Gale, it's more... Not Cerebral? Cere- not cerebral. It's more academic. He's like, oh, well, how, what can I do to create the most loss of life on their side while limiting the loss of life on our side? And that's actually something I kind of wanted to talk about in the context of this, of this film, is how much of war is fought in the mind before it's fought on a battlefield. Because that's the whole point of the first part of this two-part movie is that battle in the mind. It's all about propaganda. It's all about bringing, even like this section of this movie is about bringing people to your side of the fight before the actual fight starts. Because you can't expect somebody to fight for your cause if they don't believe in your cause. So like, he he's already sold on the cause. And now he's taking the next step in his head before feet hit the ground, so to speak. And... One of the things that's interesting about this particular scene is that Katniss is horrified because they're minors. They grew up, like, not children. They are children, but also... Minors with an E. Yes. (laughs) Not an O. And she keeps thinking about, like, the worst possible thing that they could experience growing up was the mind collapsing. And now they are artificially causing their worst nightmare to happen to other people. Yeah, that was not clear. She she has like a full-on like seven steps of like seven stages of grief through this in the book. Cause she's like, what her breakdown is like, what have we done? 
we have just because Gail is like, I don't care if they're civilians or not, they're still because that's what Boggs and Paler keep telling him. Yeah. And Paler is the lead. Uh, or no, it's Lime is here, but Paler is also here. And Paler is like, there are civilians in there. And basically Gail and Coyne are both like, fuck the civilians, we don't care. Mm-hmm. But Katniss is like, how can you not care? And that's and that's the a use of language. And that's another thing I wanted to talk about, and it's how in in dictatorships and fascist governments, there's there's a use of dehumanization. Specifically here, Snow doesn't refer to them as rebels, he wants to refer to them as criminals. And Gale they're not civilians, they're the enemy. You know, it's it's how do you frame what you're doing to allow yourself to do it. Yeah. And it's like we even see that in the real world. Remember when PETA wanted to start calling fish sea kittens? Because yes. we'll be less likely to eat fish if they're sea kittens, because who wants to eat a kitten? And then of course the edgelord internet scene that I was in at the time was like, alright. I got two pet land fish then. <laughs> <laughs> like we can do this we can do this game both ways but also I don't want to eat my cat who is looking very disturbed right now. <laughs> Hi Luna. She has airplane ears. She is not thrilled. So as you were saying, uh when they get to district 2 they need to cave in the nut, which is an underground arsenal of munitions for the capital. Mm-hmm. Um Gale wants to completely trap everyone inside. Because Coin- they were originally like the original thought process behind it was we can't take it because they're too well fortified inside. Yeah, we're not going to send hundreds of bodies to go in and die and get nothing from it. Yeah, we're not zombies. Mm-hmm. And Gale is like, has the idea where he's like, do we need to take it or can we just disable it? Yeah. And he wants to completely trap everyone inside. Katniss convinces Coin to allow an escape train, basically. Yes. Uh, which is what they do. Um, Katniss actually at this point confronts Gale over his willingness to kill civilians. Yep. As she's about to film another propo, a train of survivors comes out. Some of them are armed. Uh, one of them actually holds Katniss hostage briefly. Mm-hmm. She ends up talking him down, reminding him that Snow is the real enemy, the same tactic that worked on her in Catching Fire. She's learning. <laughs> this is when she says the line, turn your weapons to Snow, that we heard in the trailer. Yep. And someone shoots her in the chest. Snow sees this and celebrates that the Mockingjay is dead. Roll credits. Can't believe they ended the movie this way. Um, I'm joking. Uh, he doesn't actually think she's dead, because if she were, 13 would already be using her as a martyr. Which we see later. Yes. He wants them to be let into the Capitol, because he wants to televise their actual demise. Of course, the propaganda outfit that's in a design for her, fucking bulletproof. I think she ends up with like a cracked rib and some bruising. In the book, she actually doesn't, like, her ribs are bruised, but what actually happens is it causes her spleen to explode. Oh. So she has, they have surgery, because this is where you see Joanna come back and start stealing her morphine, morphling. Yep. Uh, And Joanna's like, come on, you know Cinna wasn't, of course your outfit was bulletproof. The issue is that your organs gave out. (laughs) And that's how Katniss finds out that she doesn't have an organ anymore. (laughs) God bless Joanna. The The next line of my notes is Joanna visits Katniss in the hospital and reads her for filth. <laughs> um, but she also understands why she's the Mockingjay because she can see the sincerity. And that's something that we've been talking about this whole series is what's so engrossing about her is her sincerity. 
in the book, she and Joanna actually become friends. They actually live together because Joanna isn't allowed to leave the hospital unless she has somewhere to live. And she doesn't have anybody. There's no people from Seven. She doesn't have any family. Yeah. There, she can't live with Finnick because he's with uh, Annie. Can we get a spinoff sitcom of the two of them living together as like <laughs> roommates in District Thirteen? There's actually like a heartbreaking scene where like Joanna keeps going through Katniss's stuff, and Katniss is like, "Why?" She's not even mad about it. She's just like, "Why?" And then she realizes Joanna has nothing. Mm-hmm. And it later in the after they do their soldier training and everything, and Joanna fails out. She actually takes a handkerchief and fills it with pine needles and gives it to Joanna as a, like, this is your home type thing so that she has something. It's actually really sweet. That's very sweet. I wish there was more Joanna in this because I love her. After Joanna steals her druggies, Kat goes to visit Peta. Uh, He tells the full story of when he gave her bread in the rain. He burned it on purpose. He took a beating for it. Like He really cared about her. Katniss again then asks Coin if she can go to the capital. And Coin's like, nope, the districts are all united now. You're done. We don't need you anymore. You're good. And she's like, all right, whatever. So Finnick and Annie get married. And at the wedding, Katniss tells Joanna that she's going to kill Snow. And Joanna's like, hmm, I like your chutzpah. There's a supply ship leaving at midnight. Sneak your ass on that bitch. So this is where I take issue with the movie. Okay. Because the whole point is that Katniss doesn't want to be the Mockingjay anymore. She doesn't, she wants to be just a soldier. And that essentially happens in, when uh, Coin is like, girl, I don't give a fuck, you're, you're done. And Katniss is like, finally. Yeah. And so she throws herself into just being a soldier. And ultimately, that's what she realizes is, when she's in her test... Her test is to listen to her commanding officer and not be the Mockingjay. And she passes it because she realizes that's what District 13 sees as her biggest weakness is her inability to follow orders and her inability to not be the main character, basically. So what does the movie do with that? She's the main character. Fucking main character. (laughs) So before she leaves, uh, she says one final silent goodbye hug to Prim. Don't you want uh, Snow to see you dancing with your sister? Mm. Then she sneaks onto the supply plane, arrives at the front line, and everyone recognizes her. And it's it's part of why I'm okay with the movie going the way it did. Because she, at this point, is a symbol of revolution. There's a reason why Snow's granddaughter undid her hair tie... It's because that's part of the symbol of Katniss. When Katniss appears in propaganda, she has, you know, the look, the hair, the everything. When she's not, she's... Her hair's not done up. But she exists now as a symbol of this revolution. You can't undo that. Especially while it's still happening. Especially while they're gearing up at the front lines to invade. Mm -hmm. You can't just stop being a symbol. So I'm kind of okay with the movie not having her try. Something that I also like about this is that scene where Katniss first shows up in District 2 and you have Plutarch and Coin. is that Plutarch and Coin are 
always seen together. You never see them separated. And that's a really smart way to blend the leadership of 13 and the leadership of the Capitol in the viewer's mind. Because I don't think the movie does a really good job of demonstrating why coin is so dangerous until way too late. Yeah. And and that's shown with my mid-game predictions, my halftime guesses, of <laughs> coin being a mentor who dies and imparts one last bit of wisdom. Because I didn't see her as a problem until very late in this movie. Spoilers. We're getting to it. Yeah. Um, so she arrives. She ends up joining, what is it, Star Scream 35? <laughs> it's, like, so, like, it's like 451 is their number, is the but number. it's like Star Squad. Star Squad, yeah. Which is basically her camera crew and some extras who are going to die soon. And, you know, Finnick and Gale and Katniss and PETA. Yeah. She, well, not PETA Well, not PETA yet. yet. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, she actually gets upset when that happens, when her camera crew shows up, because she's like, I just wanted to be a soldier. Yeah, she just wants to invade. And then Boggs, uh, who we never introduced. Uh, Mahershala Ali. Fucking Mahershala Ali shows up. I, I barely talked but, about him. Um, he's a high-ranking general at He's Coin's second in command. Yeah. So... He's in charge of this group, and he's like, we're going in a few miles behind the front line. We're doing more propo, but it's still super dangerous. The game makers of the Hunger Games have set up things called pods, which are just designed to trigger to kill you. It is explained so poorly in the book. I I mean, I have an issue with reading combat in books in general, but the way that the pods are explained is by Plutarch, and it's just... It just sounds stupid. <laughs> yeah, well, it's coming from a game maker. At least in the movie, it's coming from Boggs, who is like, here's the threat. Yeah. It's a threat. <laughs> While this is all happening, uh, before the formation of Star Squad 69, Plutarch and Coin see Katniss arrive, basically, and they're like, all right, well, we're going to take credit for whatever she does. So right before they enter, they're given Nightlock pills, suicide pills, based on the same berries from the first one. Yep. And they enter the capital... Streets are vacant. They get their first pod. Uh, they have a hologram device that can detect where the pods are. But it's not 100% up to date, and they're the only team that has it. Or yep. one of the only teams that yep. have it. And it only works for Boggs because he's in control. So they find their first one. She shoots an arrow through some buildings and flamethrowers shoot out. And it's like a violent level of fire. It's overkill. Fucking awesome. Gale and Kat agree. We're going to steal that thing at some point. We're going to be on the same watch tonight. We're going to steal that motherfucker. And we're going to go after Snow. And that's when PETA shows up in a truck. Yep. A nice delivery of PETA bread arrives. Uh, the character, not the... Sorry, not the food. Uh, the character, PETA, arrives. Cat's uh, not happy, but they cuff him. Boggs thinks that uh, Coin sent PETA to eliminate Katniss, as she would be a rival in a free election. Not necessarily because Katniss wants to be a leader. But because people will vote for her. No, no. Because whoever Katniss puts her support behind. Mm. And Coin isn't sure point. that it's going to be her. Yes. that's Because they, in the book, they don't get along. Yeah. Um, that's right. That is what it said. But it, or I should say, in the book, it's more clear that they don't get along. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is like the first we get of Coin maybe not being... The the bastion of goodness that we were led to believe. 
Because what's the one thing that Katniss can do for this revolution now that would be more powerful? Die. And become a martyr. Yep. So that night Katniss realizes, I still love PETA. I can't kill him. There's still something there. He's still in there. This is when the real or not real begins. Uh, They give him a prop unloaded weapon. They find another pod. Uh, This one is just machine gun shooting up an alleyway and they disable it. And then they walk through that alleyway and Bog steps on a landmine. He sure does. And this is where we have the scene I knew was going to happen where Katniss holds him in her arms. He transfers the hollow to her and says, uh, he says something. Don't trust them. That's what it is. Kill PETA if you have to. Finish what you came here to do. I even wrote down, telling her not to trust anyone else. Why did I not read my notes? <laughs> and then another pod, because they really overloaded this alleyway, activates, and it's like this sludge floods, like, up to, like, two stories in this, like, apartment complex, basically. Yeah. And in the mayhem that ensues, Peter loses control, kills one of the extras. Uh, <laughs> With another pod, which is a barbed wire net. Oh, that's not super clear. He winds up, like, in the barbed wire net at the yeah, end. Yeah, he throws him into... But we just see him get thrown into the sludge in, yeah. the, in the mayhem. Yeah. Um, the crew makes their way up to, like, a second floor. They're safe from the sludge, and then the sludge drains out. The other extras that are with them are a set of twins. One of them's injured. So they decide to stay there while the rest of the crew goes to see if they can radio for help. They're caught on surveillance cameras at this point, so... Capital forces arrive and blow up that building that they presume the whole Star Squad 420 is in. <laughs> you said a different number every time. And I intend to continue. So this is where they actually air, the, the District 13 airs propaganda of martyrdom. While the Capitol does the whole Hunger Games canon, respect to the fallen tributes thing at night for everyone in Star Squad 87. <laughs> And it's actually a little clever bit. It's also really interesting because I think that's the first time that they use Gale's name. They don't include him before his death he's included. Hmm. The new commanding officer is a lady named Jackson. Uh, she requests the hollow and Kat's like, no, nah, Boggs transferred it to me. And she understands like, okay, if Boggs trusts her, I trust her. Kat says she's on a special mission from Coin to assassinate Snow. No one believes her, but they go along with it anyway, because Box trusts her. Also, Bressida covers her ass, and it's just like, yes, absolutely, Plutarch wants it filmed. And Katniss is still like, I'm totally lying about this. And they're all like, bitch, we knew. Now that everyone thinks they're dead, they take the subway to Snow's house. God. Because there's too many pods on the ground level, there's too many pods on the roof, so they go underground. Um, Snow figures this out. They get seen on more surveillance cameras because they live in a police state. Uh, he says, I'm going to move the arena underground. And that's when he sends in the, what are they, fucking, the, the things from fucking I Am Legend. Like <laughs> They are supposed to be humanoid snake things because, again, subtlety, snow is not being subtle at this point. The creepiest thing about them in the book is that, first of all, they are hissing Katniss with Peta's voice, and second... They're supposed to be snakes. Yes. Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Yes. 
I never saw snake imagery anywhere in this shit. Snow is constantly described as a snake. Described? In the books, maybe. I'm watching the movies. I don't have the advantage of the written word to make it make sense. Fair enough. So, the other thing that's really horrible about these is that they smell like his roses. And that is specifically to fuck with Katniss. Now, I know they released some of these in, like, that 4D that was a thing for a while. And I desperately want them to have released, like, a rose petal smell when those things arrived. Oh, God. Because that would have been creepy as fuck watching that movie. Also, they are following them for much longer. It's like a full day of being followed by these things. Oh, yeah. but And hearing the screams of the Avoxes they're devouring on their way. Yeah, but, I mean, in a movie... Yeah. What's that sound? Oh, God, snake people. <laughs> so one of them gets uh, gets Jackson as they're trying to escape. They have a crazy combat scene where Finnick is showing off how good he is in the water with his trident and everything, but he also gets God. There's like 12 of them surrounding him, and Katniss uses the Hollow's self-destruct feature to put him out of his misery. Something she did not do for, what was that dude's name, Cato, in the first one? Correct. She also didn't have a self-destruct button on the first one. True. Uh, she had her bow. She could have shot him sooner instead of letting him suffer all night. More violence. Uh, Caster gets eaten, I think. Yeah, Caster gets eaten. Eventually, only only Katniss, Peta, Gale, Pollux, and Cressida are still alive. Cressida takes them to seek refuge with a, a woman named Tigress, who we will learn about more on the next episode. Ooh. She's an ally of theirs who's still in the capital. I believe she's a she was a former stylist. Stylist. I couldn't remember the word. Former stylist in the games. She's too old, not attractive enough for for snow anymore. So, Peta tells Cat, "Let's go get snow, or go get snow." So many people we know have died. We need to give them meaning for their death. Peta asks to be recuffed because his cuffs are bitten off. Snow while they're at this place, issues a mandatory evacuation. Everyone, like, I think within a mile or something of his home. Yeah. He says, come to my estate. I will welcome you with clothing and food. Any any remaining survivors, refugees in the capital, come to my place. So, Gail and Katniss suit up, cloak up, hide in plain sight, and join the crowd of refugees going in. When they realize that peacekeepers are going to search their faces, make sure they're not trying to sneak in, because fucking duh. They turn around. There's peacekeepers behind them. They turn back around. A little girl in a yellow coat notices Katniss and recognizes her. Shit's fucked. A peacekeeper is about to grab Katniss and check her face, and then gunfire erupts as the rebels catch up to the escaping refugees. Everyone drops. Gale gets captured. Uh, A bunch of peacekeepers get shot down. Everyone rushes the gates. At the gates, they're saying, give us your children first. Children first. So, I'm going to cut you off a little bit early, just because... That's fine. This scene is entirely different in the book, and again, it's much more brutal. Because there are still pods this close, and one of the pods is straight up, the fucking ground drops away. 
So there are refugees fleeing towards the mansion and the ground drops away, dropping them into the sewers and also possibly the meat grinder. It's not 100% clear. The meat grinder being that last bit of subway where like the, the galaxy quest plunger things are coming down from the ceiling and like lasers are shooting people and yes, bitches is dying. Yes. And it is all of them because Peacekeepers are going house to house at this point and forcing everyone to evacuate to the mansion. So they're doing it manda- They're doing it on their own power before they're required to by the peacekeepers. So PETA goes out on his own. Basically, he's going out as a distraction because it's also something that's also happening is the people in the capital are starting to lose their minds. And they um, actually, there was a guy who looked like PETA who got beaten to death by other capital residents. Because they thought he was PETA. Uh, so he's going out as a distraction. Katniss and Gale go out together. And um, Cressida and uh, Pollux also go out together. And Tigris, go- I think I think Tigris goes out with them. Yeah, because in the movie, we don't see what happens to them till after yeah. everything's over. Um, so you've got, like, the peacekeepers happening. You've got refugees coming through. You have the ground dropping away. And Katniss, like, barely makes it. And you also have the um, the rebels shooting, and Katniss is like the little girl is a character in the book because she sees the little girl mm-hmm. get shot. Oh, she does not get shot in the movie. Yeah. We only see her once more, like over her mother's dead body. Yeah, she she gets shot, and Katniss is like, "I was transfixed by that lemon yellow coat." And you, you pointed this out when we were watching. It's it's very Schindler's List. Um, at the gates of the estate they're handing children over and then you hear the familiar chirp of those little parachute capsules from the games and all the people are like oh oh gifts gifts from the capital yes they're coming from a capital hovercraft they're coming from a capital hovercraft gifts gifts from the capital warm inviting explosive gifts from the capital they get blown the fuck up a pen of defenseless children. Yes. And a bunch of rebel medics come in to start helping, including one Primrose Everdeen. And then I remembered that thing Gail said earlier in the movie. And I looked at you and said, there's a second bomb. And the second bomb went off, burned Katniss up, and destroyed hundreds of lives. In the book, the last thing that Katniss sees, Katniss isn't sure that it's Prim until she takes off her coat and her little ducktail from the first movie. And the last thing that she sees is Prim turning and recognizing her before the bomb goes off. It's a sad scene. (laughs) It's not. It's so sad because... All of this started because she was trying to protect her. Yep. And she couldn't. Couldn't do it. So, like, half of the paragraphs I wrote in my notes are the phrase, Katniss awakes in a medical facility. (laughs) (laughs) So Katniss awakes in a medical facility with her mom and Hamish. Um, Hamish explains that they took the capital. Effie brings Katniss into the palace. She goes to Snow's greenhouse, where he is still alive. 
He tells her that Coin is the one who ordered the second bombing, uh, which aired live on broadcasts, and it was the last thing in the war. It ended the war. It was Hiroshima and Nagasaki, right? Which is also really interesting that you use those as comparisons, because he was preparing to issue an official surrender. I'm sure he was. And he does remind her of their conversation at the beginning of Catching Fire when he agreed not to lie to her. Because she says it's not true. Yeah. So she asks Scale, and he says he doesn't know who ordered the second bomb. Who do you think ordered the second bomb? Or is it explicit in the book? At this point, Katniss is so shattered as a person. It's never made explicit. The way she figures it out is... First of all, she's like, yes, I have had, like, Snow and I had that conversation where we agreed never to lie to each other. And then she's like, I can't say the Capitol didn't have those weapons, but I know for sure that the rebels did. My opinion, because the movie's not explicit either. My opinion is that one of the sets of bombs was the rebels and one was the capital, but I don't know which. And I don't think it matters which. Because it's also conceivable that the rebels took... Because where that capital plane was coming from was coming from not from the direction they were traveling, but from the direction the rebels were coming from. And that's the thing that Snow says, too, is if I had a hovercraft at my disposal, don't you think I would have been using it to escape? Yeah. So I, I could conceive... like I could believe... That the rebels dropped that first round of bombs and the capital had the bombs already in the ground and blew up the medics. I could also see, because Gail suggested it earlier, using that opportunity, seeing people in a corral. And in the end, that's what ended the war and won it for the rebellion, won it for District 13. Which is really interesting when you think about it, because, you know, killing children is how it started, too. But the thing is, what's important isn't who set the bombs off. What's important is that the war got so fucked up that someone thought it was a good idea to bomb injured civilians. And what's even worse was that it worked. And war is a fucked up thing in that way, you know? I am going to disagree with you slightly in that I think it is clear that you, you, Katniss is unreliable, but her logic is sound. And I think you are meant to believe that 13 did order it. Sure. Because... It's that thing we were going back to with the nut, the the mountain. What is going to be the least loss of life? And I also think the next scene that we're about to get to with the vote seals it for Katniss that that was something that Coin ordered. Yeah. Because another thing that Katniss thinks about is why was Prim even there? Because you have to be 14 to be in combat, whether you're a soldier or a medic. What was a 13-year-old doing on the front lines? In order to be on the front lines, she would have had to get permission from very high up. Who would give that permission? Her mommy. She (laughs) signed a permission slip. (laughs) Good points. Her age and that restriction's not in the movie, so that's 
kind of nullified. But I think what I was trying to say was that in terms of the story, it's not important who did it at that point in the story. It's important to show that it's ambiguous enough that both sides of this conflict are not to be trusted. Yeah. Both sides of this conflict are capable of atrocities. Yes. And that's the important part of that whole event. So, after this discussion, uh, Coin declares herself interim president, which, you know, always goes well when somebody does that. How long is that interim going to be, says Hamish very intelligently. Uh, she brings the remaining victors in for a vote. There are seven remaining victors. Inobaria survived. Uh, uh, she's not in the movie, though. She is in the movie. She's one of the seven there? Yes, she is. She's the black lady. Well, fuck She's me. one of the yes votes. She's the one of course that, she is. Yeah, she's the one that says, let them get a taste of their own medicine. That's right, that's right. So, the vote is, after the execution of Snow, Coin wants to announce one final Hunger Games that will be... Uh, the, I believe it's the children of the living game makers. It's uh, children of, I think, high-ranking capital officials. In the book, it's not even that clear. It's just capital children. Yeah, all I wrote down was capital's children. And the I, her idea of it is after Snow is dead, she knows there will still be some bloodlust amongst citizens of 13 against, you know, capital citizens and game makers. So let's focus it on... One last Hunger Games will put their children in it for once. Get a taste of their own medicine. Everyone must vote. No one may abstain. Yes. So it comes down to the last two votes. Uh, at this point, it's three no's, two yeses. Peta, BT, and Annie all vote no. Yep. Joanna and Inobaria vote yes. Yes. Joanna actually specifically says in both the movie and the book, Snow's got a granddaughter, doesn't he? Yes. So it's down to Hamish and Katniss. And before she gives her vote, Katniss says, I get to be the one who kills Snow. And Coin agrees. And she says, yes. And Hamish, knowing that she knows what she's doing, agrees and says, yes. Well, he doesn't say yes. He or says, he says I, 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 how does he say it? I'm with the Mockingjay. I'm with the Mockingjay. So at the execution... Uh, Snow is, you know, tied to a stake. She draws her bow, aims it at Coin, and assassinates Coin. Before she can get the Nightlock pill into her mouth, Peter wrestles it away from her, and she gets dragged into a uh, into a holding cell, basically. In the book, uh, specifically, she's taken to the training center, her first room from the first oh, games. Oh, shit. While she's there, Hamish arrives and reads a letter from Plutarch, which explains that in the aftermath of all this, uh, there will be a free election. Most likely, it's going to be uh, the lady from District 8. Paler. Paler. Thank you. I didn't write the name down. It's most likely going to be Paler that gets elected. I agree with what you did. Can't be seen with you publicly because of what you did. Uh, we're just going to kind of exile you out to... 12, Paler will probably pardon you once everything settles down, but you did the right thing. This scene is also different in the book. Kat it's 
again, it's not clear because Katniss is an unreliable narrator at this point. Um, but she... I believe she's in there the way that it's described. She's in there for several months because she tries to kill herself like multiple times. She like she tries to kill herself by morphine withdrawal and then the morphine that she's on is too strong. So she gives up on that. She decides she's just going to uh, not eat or drink. And when she finally goes through with that, like two days later, Hamish comes in and is like, your trial's over. We're leaving. (laughs) So. It is Hamish that is the one who... Plutarch doesn't come see her in the book? No. So, this was Philip Seymour Hoffman's final film role. They shot part one and part two back to back. And when he passed away, he only had two scenes remaining to shoot. And this was one of them. So they just rewrote it to have Hamish read basically what his dialogue would have been. Yeah, which is... In the book, he's actually just being a huge asshole because they're in a hovercraft on the way and they're dropping off other people. But he has basically that speech where he's like, we're in that wonderful period between wars where everyone agrees not to commit uh, to... uh, Commit atrocities. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I actually really respect Francis Lawrence and to an extent the producers of this for... Deciding we're not going to try to do any CG with Hoffman. We're not going to do a double. We're not going to try and AI his lines, although that wasn't a thing yet. It's going to be, we'll work around it. And I respect that. And I almost prefer that scene as a letter. It makes more sense. Like, why would he exactly go to her? They've, as much as he is a dickweed in the, <laughs> in the book... They make him almost worse in the movie because he really is just pulling the strings. I like, refer to him as Kissinger when yeah. we were watching because he's he's always by the side. He's always the second hand to leadership. When it serves him in Catching Fire, he's next to Snow, mm-hmm. and then he leaves Snow, and then all through Mockingjay Part One and half of Part Two, he's he's the right hand man of Coin yeah. because she's got more power. And then once there's a free election, he's the advisor to Paler because she's the one in charge. He's really the one in charge. Mm-hmm. He's the game maker and he's making the meta game. Yeah. You know? And it's fucking, you know, what a parallel to how actual politics works, right? Yeah. It's, his character is the worst. Have you, have you done any research on Plutarch and the history of that name? Because I haven't, and I feel like there's something there. Plutarch was a historian in ancient Greece, or ancient Rome. I believe ancient Rome. That makes because he's writing the history. Yeah. He's the one pulling all the strings, <laughs> all the moves and counter moves. He's playing chess with himself. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's also really funny. Um, one of the tiny things that I don't think I brought up in the Catching Fire pod He's actually the one that falls into the punch bowl in Hunger Games when she shoots the arrow into the game maker's room. <laughs> Neat. Yeah. Uh, so, Hamish reads the letter. They disappear back to 12. Katniss goes back to her old home. It's not the same. And then that fucking cat shows up. <laughs> she attempts to murder the cat, but all of a sudden she can't aim. And then she breaks down and loves that bitch-ass cat. Because it's all she has left of her dear sister, Prim. And then Peta shows up, I guess. And they get married and happily ever after, yada, yada, yada. They got two kids. It's fine. 
The end. The two kids, by the way, played by Jennifer Lawrence, actual nephews. I, or yes. niece and nephew. Yes. I had uh, heard that. I think it's nephews. Nibblings. That ending. So, I'm just gonna... can flip to this one real quick. Nephews. Theodore and Bear. <laughs> so... The oldest one's like 18 now. Time sucks. Sorry. The end. I don't think I said the end yet. Uh, so this is the epilogue. The questions are just beginning. The arenas have been completely destroyed. The memorials built. They are no more. There are no more Hunger Games. But they teach about them at school, and the girl knows we played a role in them. The boy will know in a few years. How can I tell them about that world without frightening them to death? My children, who take the words of the song for granted, and it's the song she sang to Rue. Mm-hmm. My children, who don't know they play on a graveyard. But that's that's what I was bringing up with the with the deer in part one too. Is it's that innocence of peacetime? They don't know. Just like that deer didn't know that it could be hunted, those kids don't know that they can be hunted. You know. This ending was really controversial for a lot of people. There were a lot of people that were really upset that Katniss ended up having kids. And to be fair, the way that it's worded is uh, not great, which is, it took 5, 10, 15 years for me to agree, but PETA wanted them so badly. That, like, a lot of people were like, he pressured her into having kids, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, like first of all, no. Yeah. <laughs> Second, she admits herself, and this is something that's so clear with rereading it, Suzanne Collins is dropping the hints really early on that Katniss is, she could be a maternal figure if she let herself. Because what does she do? She fucking babies Prim. She babies Rue. She mother hens over Mags and Wyrus and BT in Catching Fire. She's a caregiver. Exactly. And we we talked about this with, in the first Hunger Games. Yes. With the whole strong female character thing. Like, part of that is that she is still... A caregiver, the traditional female role, but also a badass and a leader and a symbol and a martyr and all these other things. And she she says herself, like, if I hadn't built up, built up all these walls, would this be a thing that I would actually be afraid of is having kids and having them go to the Hunger Games? Her being okay with having kids indicates that this is a world that she now feels safe enough in that she can Exactly. Like, she, the world is different now, and she feels safe enough to be a mother. And and I picked that up right away watching the ending. I had no issues with the ending. But I, yeah. I feel like some of that controversy over it was still, like, resonance from how Harry Potter ended. Because that wank-wank happy ending was... Like just, Wizard cop marries his high school girlfriend. Yeah, it was so fucking like storybook derogatory, you know. Yeah. So um, it didn't it didn't earn the happy ending in the same way that this kind of did. Yeah, it almost and yeah, yeah. We're not going to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing is that previously we've had the conversation about whether or not she loves. Gail or she loves Peta. Mm-hmm. And 
this book does a good job of sh- and like to his credit gail also recognizes this as a character but like she only turns to gail when he is hurting or she is hurting and it's because their bond is that is that unhealthy it's forged in that in the trauma of their growing up that bond of mutual need and once they don't have it they're not they have nothing to keep them together i know i made this joke the last time but it's the end of speed <laughs> so <laughs> to settle that point for real um Suzanne, in the end of Hunger Games, or in the end of Mockingjay, she says, um, I know this would have happened anyway. That, uh, that what I need to survive is not Gail's fire kindled with rage and hatred. I have plenty of fire myself. What I need is the dandelion in the spring. The bright yellow that means rebirth instead of destruction. The promise that life can go on no matter how bad our loss is. That it can be good again. And only PETA can give me that. And that's something that you recognized as well, I think, during part one. um, Because you were like, he's her hope. Yeah. Uh, I I think I brought that up in Catching Fire. Did you? Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I think that puts a a nail in that coffin, so to speak. Yeah. Um, You asked me a question on the last episode that I didn't want to answer till now. Yeah. And it was... Would Katniss have been better as a martyr? And or would PETA have been better as the symbol? No. And it all comes down to the assassination of Coin. That was required to get this world back to a pseudo- Democracy, you know, kill its grasping malice successor. Exactly. If you if you don't kill Coin, the revolution isn't a revolution; it's a military coup. Because the same structure is still going to be, because she's going to be interim president, sure, and then the election is going to be rigged, and she'll be elected president, and she's never going to not be president. Because Snow's been president for God knows how long. I assume we'll find out in the prequel that's coming out. Um, and it's she's going to start a new Hunger Games, and it's going to be the Capitals' children, and it's just the cycle of violence continues. Peta, were he the symbol, would not have fired that arrow. He wouldn't have been able to do that because he's not that kind of person. Katniss, if she were dead, could not have fired the arrow, unless someone learned necromancy. <laughs> Last I checked, corpses can't move on their own. So that's the real revolution was her making that choice to assassinate Coin. The rest of it was a civil war. The revolution was creating a true power vacuum. And the people who are already inspired to create democracy going, okay, now we have no leader we better vote on who's next instead of somebody else coming up and being, I'm the next leader. You know, that doesn't happen if it's not Katniss. Because Gail wouldn't have done it either. Gail would have supported Coin. Yeah. Peter wouldn't have been able to shoot. He would have understood what was going on, but he wouldn't have been able to take that step. Hamish, maybe, but his aim wouldn't be good because he's drunk all the time. He's going to have the fucking shakes. He's got his coffee and his donut at his AA meeting. He doesn't have a bow and arrow. Like, <laughs> no, it has to be Katniss. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think as much suffering as they both go through, it's kind of their role in that. Because, like, I think Katniss would have held up better under the torture to an extent. Yeah. Um, She would have, but she also, like... It would have immediately killed any sort of rebellion if she were in his role at the Capitol. Because as soon as she shows up on TV... Because people love her. Because of who she is. And if she brought any of her natural charisma to Capitol propaganda, the war's over. Or do you think it would have been more of a... Not to use this phrase, but more of a... Holy shit, they have Katniss, let us storm the Capitol to free her. And it would have been a... The districts wouldn't have been united and it would have been failed at that point. Maybe, but I don't think she'd be presented in a, in a sense of the Capitol has her prisoner. I think she'd be presented as a member of the Capitol. Whether or not that's true, which we know everything's manufactured. But I think they would like... It would be like the beginning of Catching Fire when all the tabloids are about the wedding, right? Yeah. It would be, ooh, Katniss makes appearance at this gala. Katniss shows up, and she's there under duress, but you don't see that in the still images. You don't see that in the short video clips. So, um, so first I want to make a, it would be a, what is her name? Lee, Lee Bingbing, I think. She's a Chinese actress who got caught mm. doing tax evasion, and basically the, she was in the Meg. I know who you're talking about. She got caught doing tax evasion by the Chinese government, and they basically quietly put her on house arrest. Bing Bing Lee. Bing Bing Lee. That's her yeah. name. Um, I had it just not in the right order. Yes. Um, so she was basically quietly put on house arrest to the tune of, like, no one saw her for, like, eight or nine months. Yeah. And that's kind of the vibe that I'm getting from, like, what you're describing. Exactly. I think you're right. Exactly. Um, and then the second thing... Or, like, that athlete... At the the Tokyo Olympics in 2021, I think she Brittany was... Brittany Griner? No, no, no. Um, I want to say it was a Chinese tennis player, maybe? I wish I could remember the details. But she was like... There was a known but not public like spat between her and the government, and then she was seen like next to the prime minister as like a public thing at one of the events, and it was very clearly like, look, no, she's here and she's fine, we're good, but like, was she there on her own? Like that. Okay. I, I wish I could remember more details. I I remember you talking about that yeah. now, and I remember it happening. Um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't in Tokyo. It was in the Beijing 2022 Winter Games. That's when it was. The other thing that I wanted to bring up was this does so well with like the nuance of everything, and it's so funny that I think all of the DVDs, Blu-rays, whatever that you've gotten have had ads. I so we own Catching Fire and Mockingjay Part One. And both of those retail copies of the Blu-ray have a sticker. One is, ooh, check out the preview of Divergent. And the next is, check out the preview of Insurgent. Because they're both Lionsgate films. Yeah. And... What about the third one? The one that was, like, a streaming-only TV show that didn't finish? (laughs) With a different main actress? Because she fucking bailed on that trash. So... 
I bring it up because that's probably, even if we get to that, we're not going to watch the third one. But the third one involves the main character being tortured for an extended period of time. Tobias? Uh, no, that's the male main character, the female main character. But Tobias got tortured in that whole book. Different Tobias. Oh. His name is actually Tobias. Oh my god. <laughs> Someone liked Animorphs. Is Divergent actually Animorphs fanfiction? Oh god. <laughs> I would not put that on K on K A Applegate. And one of the things is that like the main character keeps frustrating her torturer because she realizes that it's all fake. And like that's kind of like I feel like that would be the natural extension of you have Katniss in the power of the capital, is like you would get those torture porn scenes, but they're not they wouldn't be well done, you know? No. I think to go back to the original thing and stop shitting on a different book, ultimately, I think, yeah, Katniss was the only choice. Yeah. So now that we've finally answered that question, let's do some fun trivia before we go home. Yay! So different writers on this one than before. Uh, like I said before, Suzanne Collins had it adapted by credit on this one okay. that she didn't have on Catching Fire. And I say this one, I'm treating both as one movie. They shot them together, whatever. Yeah. Uh, the two writers are Peter Craig, uh, who did The Town and The Batman. And okay. Danny Strong, who did The Butler and he was in The Gilmore Girls. <laughs> he played Doyle McMaster in Gilmore Girls. Oh, God, that's such a Gilmore Girls name. It so is. I watched so much of that show as a kid, and I don't remember shit about it. Uh, Coin was played by Julianne Moore. Uh, Boogie Nights, Magnolia. She won an Oscar for Still Alice. Uh, Annie was played by Steph Dawson. No real major credits of stuff that I knew. Boggs, as we said, Mahersha Ali. Uh, Moonlight won an Oscar. Green Book won an Oscar. You know, Spider-Verse movies. Uh, Cressida was played by Natalie Dormer, who's in The Tudors, Game of Thrones. Uh, caster was Wes Chatham, who was in W and Tenet. And my boy Pollux, Eldon Henson from Mighty Ducks, Fulton Reed himself, and Foggy Nelson in the Daredevil TV show. Fucking love me some Eldon Henson, not gonna lie to you. Did we go over who plays Prim? We never mentioned who plays Prim. I... I Willow Shields, right? Yeah, Willow name? Shields. I kept noticing her name and going like, I should grab her. And then I never fucking did. Because <laughs> um, she's very good. I think she's great. She just doesn't have much to do. Yeah. And she hasn't really done much else that I can see. Like She's got other credits, but I mean, she's a kid actor who was a kid actor in a massive franchise. I kind of want her to disappear for a couple years and come back as an adult. Yeah. If she still wants to act. Pull you know? the pull the Doogie Hauser. Yeah, pull Neil Patrick Harris, pull uh fucking Drew Barrymore, you know. Uh, maybe. Without without the, you know, <laughs> the Drew Barrymore of it all. <laughs> I don't normally pull trivia for marketing stuff, but I thought this was fun. Uh for part one, the the Capitol had an official Instagram account. And one of the marketing things they did was post a teaser poster. And then immediately delete it and have the account issue an apology for technical issues. So um, I fucking love viral marketing like that. That's good shit. Apparently before Catching Fire, um, they released a bunch of posters thanking the districts for their contributions. Ooh, that's good. And also like former victors. 
So, like, Mags had a poster from her Victory Tour. That's the main one I can, that I can think of, but, like, they did a bunch like that. Uh, they're also doing stuff like that with Ballad of Songbird and Snakes. Apparently, you could sign up for text alerts, and you're getting texts like you're a student at the Academy. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I like that kind of stuff. Like, I always appreciate when, like, Cloverfield did that the best. That's, like, the one everyone goes Brick through. through your window with the next Cloverfield <laughs> movie. <laughs> If you don't know that joke, because, uh, like, Cloverfield was marketed with just the release date, and then 10 Cloverfield Lane came out, and it was a secret Cloverfield movie, and then there was a Super Bowl a few years back, and they were like, hey, the third Cloverfield movie's on Netflix right now, and then the joke was, like, the next one will just strap a v- VHS tape to a brick and throw it through your window. <laughs> I had something else I want to say about posters. Oh, there was another poster they released for the second one that w- it just said, like, 100 days until part two but the way that they formatted it like the second zero in 100 like the right edge of it was cut off and then the words until part two were smaller inside that and it just looked like the word cunt (laughs) oh god so they pulled that poster real quick um we mentioned talked about how effie trinkets in this that was at the behest of suzanne collins of course it was. She called Francis Lawrence and said, quote, there's no way Effie Trickett cannot be in the Mockingjay films. She recognized her mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, we talked about the garlic and tuna foods. Natalie Dormer ad-libbed a lot of her stuff as a director, and she based her ad-libbing off Francis Lawrence <laughs> and how he would act on, like, how, how he would talk to the cameraman and the lights and, and all that. So I thought that was just a little... Neat thing. That's kind of charming. Um, the Hanging Tree song, uh, the music was written by the Lumineers. That tracks, actually. Lyrics, of course, were from the book by Suzanne Collins. Yes. Um, talked about that. So, fun fact about that. Uh, I nannied around the time that these movies were coming out. Uh, I nannied for a baby, specifically. And there was one day where he would not fall asleep, and I was blanking out for any fucking uh, lullabies, so I just started singing The Hanging Tree, and he fucking knocked out. He loved that song. God bless the Lumineers. I Putting babies to sleep since 2014. Did not tell his parents (laughs) that was the song that I used. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Um, I have one uh, alternate cast, uh, Alma Coin. Uh, they consider Jodie Foster. Oh, I like that. I love that. I didn't see why they didn't pick her. Was she doing something else? Possibly. Maybe? I don't know. Because you want to love Jodie Foster. You want to love her so much, but Alma Coin's whole deal is... Yeah, no. Oh. Um, what's crazy is Clarice Starling, the character originally portrayed by Jodie Foster, was later portrayed by Julianne Moore. Oh. In Hannibal. Oh. Yeah. Oh, this is a fun one. So in the District 13 Control Center, mm-hmm. all the consoles were reused pieces of set from Apollo 13. And then they put them back in the prop warehouse, because you've been to like WB and shit. You've seen the prop warehouses. Yeah. They pulled them back out to use them for hidden figures. And they still had Pan Am and District 13 logos on them. Oh, no! Like, in Hidden Figures? I don't know if you can see them on set. Or or on screen, but they still were present during filming. Oh, no. I think that's so fucking funny. 
Woody Harrelson and Elizabeth Banks decided to kiss unscripted when they had their little smoochy smooch. Of course they did. Because they love each other. <laughs> and, uh... It's, it's really interesting doing that. Like, it's an interesting choice considering, like, you're introduced to them having a non-consensual kiss. Yeah. So them having a consensual one at yeah. the end of the series. And as we Growth. talked about... As we talked about before, Elizabeth Banks shipped them. <laughs> of course she did. <laughs> Hamish and Effie are her OTP. <laughs> so... You can imagine the joy in her heart when she got to give Woody Harrelson a little smoochy smooch. Now, did she ship them or did she just want to smooch Woody Harrelson? Both can be true. <laughs> and uh, finally, you pointed her out. I didn't talk about her at all, but Gwendolyn Christie played Lime, Commander Lime, in the movie. Uh, it was originally cast uh, Lily Rabe. But she had to back out due to some theater commitments. So they actually cut her scenes from the first one ah. and recast her. So there was supposed to be more of Lily Rabe, who was District 2. Two. She's actually a former victor. Did I say Lily Rabe? More of Commander Lime, excuse me. Yes. Yeah, so that was supposed to be more fleshed out in the first one. Yeah. So. Yes. I think we've said all we can say. If you're still with us, thank you for staying with us. We appreciate it. Now that we're done, the original trilogy, the Ridge Tridge, if you will. No, absolutely not. I you will, will not? not? No. <laughs> okay. Do you recommend this trilogy of novels? Absolutely. I 100% recommend this trilogy. I think upon reread, Catching Fire is my favorite. Um... Because you get the spectacle of the Hunger Games while also getting the dissension and the pot boiling over and the kind of, like, trip around the world yeah. <laughs> of the novel. It's the Empire Strikes Back of the series. Yeah. But I I do wholeheartedly recommend it. I told you, I when I was going through and doing my notes, I forget how hard those last, like, two chapters of Mockingjay hit. And I'm including the epilogue as part of the final chapter. Because I was reading it at work and just, like, sitting there with tears running down my face in my office like an idiot. Because it is one of the most visceral and well-written descriptions of depression Mm -hmm. it's also like shell shock and a lot of other things but like Katniss talks about how she literally sits in her chair and eats and doesn't move for like months yeah and when she finally does she talks about how like she finally she has a nightmare and the, the nightmare is horrible the nightmare is everyone that she's ever everyone that has ever died that she knows the name of is shoveling dirt on her while she's in the bottom of a grave. And she's like, and it's a lot of people. So it takes a while. And she wakes up and the shoveling sounds are still happening. And it's PETA planting the primroses outside her window. Mm. And she goes to investigate the sound and PETA gives her a funny look and she like touches her hair and realizes that it's like matted into clumps. And she talks about how, like, the evil is inside now instead of just outside. So she goes upstairs and she talks about how, like, she peels off her clothes, which are the same clothes she came back from the Capitol in. And she's, like, uh, flakes of skin the size of, like, 
she uses a specific term. She's like huge flakes of skin come off. Um, she showers. She scrubs herself until like the rose scent is gone. And it's that section plus her her reun- uh, reunion with Buttercup. And ultimately, like, her recovery and that epilogue are just, they're a gut punch. Because it's a character that you do love, even though she's dumb as a fucking wall. And you get to see her, even though she suffered horrendously, you get to see her pull through and win in the end. Yeah. And it earns it, which not a lot of series do. And if you're a fan of, like, Game of Thrones, where everything is terrible all the time... This is more like, yes, you're going to go to the depths of hell, but you are also going to get to see the dandelions at the end. Yeah. The whole Don Blue thing of you can ruin a child's entire afternoon as long as they get a happy ending. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I recommend the movies. They're good movies. They are, they are well made. It's... The first one shocks me. Knowing how much money they put into the second, third, and fourth. The first one, knowing how low that budget was and how much of that they had to do practically. And realizing that like the biggest names in that movie are only in a handful of scenes. And it made stars. Like That movie made Jennifer Lawrence. It became a global phenomenon. And so much of how big it got... Like... And when I say global phenomenon, I mean this movie released the same day in China it released in the U.S. That doesn't fucking happen. This was a massive thing. Anything that gets that big gets neutered. And some of the descriptions that you've read from the novels as we've gone through them, I wish this was a little smaller of a project. I wish it was a little smaller and was able to go harder as an R rating and get a little more violent and get a little more visceral. And it goes back to the shaking cam in the first one, right? Where the whole idea of that was to remind the audience that this is violence. This is not entertainment. The Capitol wants you to think it's entertainment, but it's violence. It's... And leaning more into that, especially when you get to... There's a section of this one you call the meat grinder. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's what they called that section where they ran through and there were some lasers and I think somebody, like, dissolved. And that's all it was in the movie. Because they have to dilute that shit for PG-13 so they can sell more tickets. And It's actually... Uh, meat grinder is where Jackson dies. Uh, because she stays back with mm. one of the other people to prevent uh, the mutts from getting across it. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. My my yeah. point is, it's that same thing. As though. as good as these movies are, they they could have been better, but money supersedes art in this industry. It's so interesting considering like the message of these books to watch how the movies got capitalized. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's. It's funny how much of when I'm reading in the research, I'm getting box office data and it ranked this in this year and it ranked this all time and it ranked this in this country. And, and it's like the, the movie is about the whole like theme of it is capitalism leads to fascism. And we're celebrating the excess of a commodity that is based off of a piece of art 
that is telling us not to celebrate excess. One of the things that they did for marketing, I don't know if it was for Catching Fire or Mockingjay, um, was a bunch of different high fashion houses donated or let the actors wear pieces for photo shoots, which is perfect because they're capital photo shoots. Yeah. Like I, the thing that's good marketing. Yeah. Like the thing I'm thinking of is I, I know Effie, like there's one specific house. I can't remember. I don't know enough about high fashion. All of Effie's outfits came from one specific house. Um, in I think the first movie and then like, Peta and Joanna are all dressed up, sitting like next to Snow in a bunch of propaganda images, and it's so fascinating because you could be like, "This is propaganda. This is literally propaganda for a fake country." Yeah, like <laughs> it's it's a good franchise. Check it out. It's I think now it's all four are streaming on Peacock as of the time of recording. Yeah, because the fifth one's about to They're come out. They're pretty available. The prequel comes out on November seventeenth. Which is our next episode. I realized I wrote the wrong thing in my notes. <laughs> I will be seeing that movie alone in IMAX. Yeah, have fun. On with the eighteenth. I and am... uh, our episode will come out shortly thereafter. Two weeks from when this one's out. I am going to have some opinions on that because as as highly as I praise this original trilogy, I think that Well, we're gonna have an episode about it. I know. Don't give it away now. We've already gone. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> How did we go longer than the movies? <laughs> Not both movies, just one. Longer than each. <laughs> no wonder Luna is looking so forlorn on the couch waiting for us to come to bed. Oh. All right. I'm going to bed. I'm tired. <laughs> we going to say goodbye or are we just going to let it turn? No. <laughs> If you're still listening to this, like, two hours and 20 minutes in, good night. (laughs) Thank you. We love you. We'll see you next time for Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Woo!